With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. Bless Your Boys is the SB Nation home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball. I'm your host, Brandon Day. I'm a staff writer and editor there. And with me this week, we have two, we have a host, a co-host, and we also have a special guest for you. Um, first, I'll introduce my co-host, Ashley McLennan. How's it going, Ashley? Good. I like how you almost relegated me to secondary guest. I know. I was going to call you guest for a second. <laughs> Rude. Like, I'm not here every week. I mean, That's I'm, not true. Sometimes Rob shows up, but that's, that's I'm true. mostly here. I mean, I'm at home, so everyone's a guest technically, right? I suppose so. <laughs> but we have a, a true guest tonight. We have a, a very highly esteemed Bless You Boys alumnus, Miss Emily Walden of The Athletic, who has written about prospects for well, 2080 baseball. Did you write for minor league ball, too? I can't even remember. Um, that was a project I was actually planning to get involved with, but we had some changes at The Athletic and actually moving into national prospect coverage for them this season. So it's really an exciting project we have going on. Oh, that's Yay. awesome. Yeah, and the, uh, the Athletic is just doing really, really well. So it's been super cool to uh, yeah kind of see you get in on the ground floor there and just continue to kind of do awesome work and all the reporting you did from Lakeland was great we're loving it uh thank you so much yeah it's really it's an incredible thing when you think about how the prospect scene was almost non-existent several years ago and now with all of the different teams who are in rebuilding mode it's really becoming a forced issue where people are having to pay attention to the farm systems and um, it's really a cool opportunity to see these guys kind of coming into their own who have been following the last you know three years this is my fourth year as hard as that is to believe <laughs> and it's, it's just been a really cool experience to watch that happen yeah, I mean, I, I have some chagrin over a few conversations we had um, when I started at Bless You Boys where I kept asking you, like, oh, why don't you write more about the Tigers? You know, no one's interested in the farm system. You know, there's nobody good down there. <laughs> now you're now you're at the uh, the front of the pack. So, Well, and I used to uh, joke with Rob, actually, back in the day when I started with Bless You Boys, when Michael Fulmer came on, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that was 2015, which would have been my first year, uh, Rob was freaking out, and he said, you actually have a prospect to write about. It wasn't a farm system. It was, oh my gosh, there's actually a prospect within the Tigers minor league system. So it was a cool thing to watch. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like you said, I always joke with Brandon that I, up until now, I never cared about the prospects at all. Like, I'm just like, what's happening in the real baseball world? And now I'm like, oh God, this season is forcing me to actually learn who these guys are. <laughs> yep. But that's a fun thing because, yeah, there's actually a whole bunch of talented guys now. So, yeah, it's a much better, much better situation than it was even like a year ago. So, yeah, you're um, you're definitely getting a lot better, better caliber of guy to watch and cover these days. That's for sure. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And it was really interesting to see some of the guys who I hadn't seen in person when I went down to Lakeland for spring training this past week. Um, just so it was, it was interesting. I have to see these guys personally. I love reading reports. I love reading analysis. But in order to give that firsthand account, I want to make sure I can get eyes on them. And I had that opportunity during spring training. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, we're going to, yeah, we're going to dive pretty deep into all that. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about though, because I know you, you worked covering the Blue Jays, um, quite a bit in the Midwest league last year and one, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just hit an epic monster walk-off home run in the, in the final exhibition game of the Toronto Blue Jays season. And, um, Twitter is, is just on fire at the moment and people are going crazy. Um, I mean, you saw this comment, you were telling me about him a year ago. Um, what do you see from, from Mr. Guerrero and what do you project for him? Oh, I think that he's just somebody, he's one of those kids that comes along and it's like he can do no wrong. You watch him both on the on the field and at the plate, and he's got so much of his dad. He's got that absolutely atrocious hack at the plate, and it's one of those things that only works, apparently, if you're a Guerrero. So that works in his favor because nobody else can seem to pull that swing off the way that they can. But um, I think the thing that stood out for me the most with Junior is just the similarities. I mean, the fact that, you know, he doesn't strike out that often. He's got a really high walk rate. Um, He's very patient at the plate. And to know that he came in as young as he did, he's only 19. He's only 19 (laughs) years old. And he just absolutely sent a moonshot. During that game tonight, it was it was unbelievable, but he's absolutely got his dad's power. I think the only area where he's still needing some work is figuring out where they're going to put him defensively long-term. Um, there's been some talk about putting him in the outfield because he does have a really, really good arm. Um, but as you've seen, he's, he's, still, he's a stocky kid. He's still a kid. And so he's kind of got to grow into himself a little bit more. But he's, he's doing a pretty decent job at third right now, but I'm not quite sure if that's going to be his long-term home. Yeah, you know, Eric Langenhagen, who um, covers prospects for Fangraphs, has kind of been talking a bit lately about reverse projection, which is kind of the idea that, you know, you tend to look at um, a prospect who's, say, 18, 19 years old and kind of um, kind of assume a certain pathway for, like, his body type and everything like that. But, you know, if you lean on a guy and really make an emphasis of, and if they have the right work ethic and character, and to emphasize, you know, we need you to get into this kind of shape, we need you to change your athleticism in these ways... Um, some certain guys can do it, um, and it's he may be a good candidate for, for something like that. Um, obviously, he's got the hose, um, just like his dad. But yeah, instead of a chip off the block, I mean, he's like he's he's the whole block. <laughs> it's like he's a big boy. He is a big boy, and I've heard he he definitely has a healthy appetite, which is pretty typical for a teenage guy. I think you can attest to that, Brandon. But yep. um, he's he's somebody that he's very very mature when he gets on the field. You watch him in the dugout, and he he literally is a big kid. Jokes around with his teammates. He loves to have fun. Uh, but I think when it comes to being on the field, he understands the seriousness of it, and that's going to be something that he'll be able to really test this coming year. Because right alongside Boba Shot. I mean, those two have been the crowning jewels of the Blue Jays system, and I think they're going to have a lot more fun stuff up their sleeve this year. Yeah. Now, he hasn't played above A, am I right? Correct, yeah. He and Bichette both ended the year in high A last year. So they were able to come out. I mean, they both just absolutely owned the Midwest League before they went to Florida and went down to Florida, finished the year really strong. Haven't heard confirmation yet if they're going to try him higher. I believe they're going to have him start the year back in Florida and then move him into AA eventually, which props to the Blue Jays for that because anytime a team, when you have names like that who can produce to the level that they have, it's really something to be able to have the patience to hold them back and to not push them. So I credit the Blue Jays for that, for pacing them at a really good pace and seeing how they develop along the way. So basically you're just telling people when they're doing their projections for the season not to, like, change their AL Rookie of the Year pick? 
I would say it might be just a bit premature. Again, that's me. But they're definitely going to be on a fast track soon. I mean, you look at the numbers from last year. Boba shot basically hit 400 collectively all last year. It, you waited for him to have that slump. You waited for him to, you know, hit a little bit of a second. They didn't. Neither one of them had any real struggles whatsoever. And so I think this year they could move fairly quickly, but I think the Blue Jays are going to, you know, move them at the right pace, and I don't see them throwing them up at the Major League level anytime soon. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because, you know, the Major League team is is in a kind of a weird place where they've got, you know, some of their, their big bats are, are kind of starting to age out a little bit. Um, obviously, they you know, they don't have Edwin Encarnacion anymore. They don't have Jose Bautista. Um, Josh Donaldson's still a beast, but he's kind of injury prone. So it'll just and be interesting. And it's last year, too. Yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how they feel about that um, if Vlad is just kind of wrecking shop. Um, at at the double A level, and you know they feel like they need some help in the second half. But yeah, I wouldn't go crazy. Um, people with fantasy leagues taking up roster spots, trying to stash Vladimir Guerrero, except for the purpose of having him next year, when I would assume he will be pretty close. I think he would be pretty close. I think he and Bichette are both on the pace to where it could happen next year. Again, you know, shocker to all the listeners, I don't have any say in when teams promote players. It seems to be this this mentality of tell Detroit to promote so-and-so, tell Toronto. I do apologize to everyone listening. I do not have that level of pull as much as I wish I did. Uh, so for for those guys, again, it's we don't know what goes on behind the closed doors of the front office, but we know that teams, especially like Toronto, I had a chance to talk with um, some of the Class A staff last year and was just very, very impressed with how they're handling teenage players in Toronto. I think it takes a lot of maturity to be able to do that, especially when you see the potential. And so for the way that Toronto plans to handle them, they could move them faster than we expect. I don't think they're going to rush them faster than they should. So it's going to be interesting to see what type of a pace they go this year. Yeah. Yep, definitely going to be interesting to see how those guys develop. Um, okay, let's let's just go right in. Um, you know, you 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 were just down in Lakeland. You just got back a few days ago. Um, and you know, something you said just a little bit ago about how important it is to to put eyes on a player. Um, can you can you just talk a little bit about that? About um, you know what you can see or or what you're looking for that you necessarily can't see. You know, just watching video and people at home watching a few clips and that kind of thing. Yeah, I would say for me, and again, it's hard to say if there's like a blanket process to analyzing players, and I've talked to a lot of scouts, and they're all saying, you know, scouting evaluation in general, it's opinion-based, and so there's always going to be those little varying differences in how you see a player, but for me, you know, little known secret, I actually like watching a player's face when he's on the field. You can kind of gauge if he's the type of person who wears his emotions on his sleeve, what's going on in his head. That's something that's always fascinated me, um, specifically with pitchers. You can kind of see how they're working through a process. You know, they get stuck in a jam. How are they going to plan to work through that mentally? What's the process with handling that? It's something that's always fascinated me, and I think being able to see these guys, how they handle themselves under pressure, because you can watch a video, but you have to see them in situational um, places as well. How do they work through things? What are their instincts like? Are they advanced? Are they still needing to mature? There's so many questions about that. And so for me, getting to see these guys in action, it gets my own opinion formed. And then I'm able to present that in a more factual way to the readers. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and obviously makeup, you know, is an important part of, of you know, evaluating players. Um, 
And there's, like you said, there's so much context to, like, if you're watching a guy in his third at bat of the game, um, if you don't know kind of what happened in the first two, and this is his third time against a pitcher, there, you know, there are things going on there, the mental game that you just won't pick up on, you know, just watching highlight films and that kind of thing. So, yeah, definitely, definitely a huge part of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. We kind of wanted to just, like, you, you know, you've been down to Lakeland a couple times now. How, um, do, you, do you feel comfortable down there? Do you feel like kind of like it's your place? You, like, know where the, the good cheap diners are and the, and the hotels and all that kind of thing? Yeah, I would say so. This is my second spring training, so that was uh, gave me a little bit more of an idea of what to expect once I got down there, because my first year, which would have been last year, it was a little bit of a panic when I first arrived, because you have guys going in groups at every field. They're all running different drills. You don't know who's in what group. You don't know what's going on half the time, so it was really kind of a process of having the first two days of just sort of getting a feel for how things run and something that I was really really happy about this year is that the Tigers put last names on the back of the players shirts which they (laughs) did not have last year so this year I was able to look at a group of guys and not have to walk up tap them on the shoulder and say who are you so that (laughs) that part of it made it a little bit more simple because when you get you know a group of 10 to 12 players and they're all standing turned the other way it's hard to possibly tell them all apart so for that type of thing it's um it's a lot more helpful and just being able to pinpoint the ones that you're wanting to pinpoint no matter where they're at on the field and um, just a really fun experience. It's very fan-friendly, and the players all seem to be a lot more low-key, too, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, do you find people are just a little bit more open at this time of year? Like, you know, they, they haven't had any struggles yet. Everybody's optimistic about the season. The players are a little more willing to talk. Oh, sure, sure. And I would say I've definitely been very fortunate with um, a good group in the Tigers farm specifically. Um, most of those guys are pretty low-key, especially the younger ones who are still you know, hey, I want to have my name in print, so sure, I'll talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> so that part of it makes it it's simple, too. But I got a chance to catch up with um, some of the uh, some of the guys that I think we're going to be hearing a lot from this year. John Schreiber was one, um, the, uh, the very tricksy sidearm guy who's really making a name for himself, just absolutely powered through the Midwest League last year. And um, it's hard to tell exactly where the Tigers will put him. Um, personally, I think he could handle double-A right now. But there is usually a concern about how cold it is in Erie um, to start the year. And so there have been times where the Tigers will hold pitchers back um, in extended spring training um, just to work a little bit. And then they'll shift him back up to double-A once the weather's kind of leveled out a little bit. So we could see him in Lakeland, but then we could also um, see him in Erie if they're deciding they want to take that chance. Yeah, and, um, you know, does a little bit of that have to do just with the fact maybe that, you know, I mean, he's a college player, um, so he's a little bit older, whereas, you know, if you have like an 18 and 19-year-old, like, you're obviously not going to send Matt Manning, you know, to Erie or West Michigan um, when it's freezing cold out, or at least you're going to try not to. Yeah, and again, I think it probably just depends how they feel like they're coming out of spring training, you know, do they look healthy, are there any concerns with their arm, Um, I've seen them hold some pitchers back because the pitchers were having a bit of discomfort, and they knew that the cold weather could affect that, so they actually held them back for a while. Obviously, Lakeland is a lot more warm weather friendly than it is in Erie, Pennsylvania, so that part of it, I think they're probably just going to feel it out and see how he looks. I would love to see him in AA, but it's ultimately going to decide on what the Tigers decide to do with them. Hmm. Yep. 
the first, you know, I was going to ask you, like, the first question is from um, our buddy Cantig John, and he, he just kind of wanted to know who, um, who kind of popped to you this year, you know, who stood out and maybe also who that you were kind of looking forward to seeing um, look to be kind of having an, a bit of a tough spring without obviously, like, throwing them under the bus too much. <laughs> sure, sure. I think somebody who stood out in a good way to me to start that question off um, was Grayson Long. I hadn't seen him until this year. Um, the Tigers picked him up um, through a trade from the Angels last year. And he's done some really interesting stuff. He's a very deceptive pitcher, has a really deceptive um, delivery. He's not a power fastball guy, but really liked how he was able to hide the ball away for the early part of his delivery. And so it makes it really hard for a batter to read that. Um, just seeing how he mixed his pitches was really, really good. Uh, Mark Ecker, another one who looked very, very promising. He was one who grabbed attention last year in double-A as well. Um, and then a few, which I, I wouldn't say I could necessarily throw them under the bus, but maybe ones that, you know, are really going to have to work a little extra hard. Spencer Turnbull is one um, who he's had some ups and downs as far as health goes. And, again, you can't hold that against a player. It's just something that they have to kind of work their way through. But I watched him throw, and he's got some of his velocity back. He was hitting about 95 on his fastball, which is very promising. Um, it's still still sort of glitching a little bit on that command, um, not locating as well as I would like to see him locate. Uh, so hoping he's able to come out of that a bit stronger. And I hear he is going to be in double-A where he ended the year last year. So I think we could see a good test for him over there. But as far as real concerns, nothing too, nothing too extreme. I think there's a lot of guys in a very good development pace right now. And so because of that, they're going to have some work ahead of them, but I think they're all headed in a good direction. So I would say no red flags that I can speak of. Right on. Did, um, yeah, you know, the Grayson Long, you know, it looked like, you know, he had really good command of all four pitches. Like maybe he doesn't really have like a, you know, any kind of a dominant pitch, but, um, you know, at least the, the bit I saw of him, he, yeah, you could definitely see he's, he's hiding the ball. He's got the crossfire delivery a little bit and, and a pretty quick arm for a guy who doesn't, you know, throw super hard. So yeah, it looked like, um, there was something there. Um, Let's see. Sorry, I'm kind of trying to pick through the questions. I'm kind of wondering about some people who, you know, maybe we heard about, you know, in, in years past and who have kind of like fallen off the radar a little bit, uh, maybe just because so many new um, new and talented players have been added to the system. But um, Charlie Pickering was kind of wondering what had happened to Oz Jose Azucar over the past year. Um, you know, have you kind of gotten, it didn't seem like he progressed much um, over the past year. Have you got any line on him? Have you fed him any sandwiches? <laughs> <laughs> you know, unfortunately, the sandwiches are continuing to burn off at the rate of Jose King, which is not <laughs> anything promising because all of those guys are still just their metabolism is working in overdrive. So we've got to gotta figure out a way to get some muscle to stick on them. But no, Jose, he's he's one that we're just hoping he figures it out. Um, he just, as we know, he hit a snag when he got to Lakeland. Um, still defensively, he's very, very sound, but he just can't quite get his hit tool to keep up. Uh, I watched him do a little bit of exhibition play. Um, just, it's just not quite there for him right now. I'm not sure what the hitch is for him. I didn't get a chance to speak to him, unfortunately, but um, just a little bit of, a, I think, a missing piece for him at the plate. And so hopefully, my guess is he'll be back in Lakeland at least to start the year, and then hopefully if he can get something to click, Maybe add some more power to his swing. He could still have some potential, but he does have some work ahead of him for sure. Let's see. Um, Ashley, you have anything uh, anything to add before I just talk? Uh, talk. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm I'm just curious if you think there's anybody that like might surprise us by jumping levels this year. Like, 
kind of got a hidden secret waiting up their sleeve that they're just going to, like, climb those ranks really quickly? Um, I would say at the top of the list, at least for now, I think John Schreiber is one that I heard the most talk about while I was at Tiger's camp. And he is 24 now. He just turned 24 in March. So he's a little bit on the quote-unquote older end of the spectrum. (laughs) You know, as we all know, who don't play baseball, we just call it being young still, but hey. (laughs) Um, So for him, I think that he is definitely going to surprise a lot of people. Um, I got to speak to him about some of his off-speed stuff. He actually added a little bit of velocity, and he's up to, I want to say low, almost mid-90s right now um, on his uh, delivery. So he's got just an absolutely filthy slider. I mean, anyone who's seen even video of it, you can't hit it. It's just, it's the really the darndest thing and so I think having that in his back pocket it's really helped him work a lot um he has very very high confidence on the mound really cool personality um doesn't get rattled very easy so I think as of right now just seeing what I saw from him I think he's probably going to be leading the pack and who could surprise us the most and another thing, sorry, I'm just going to do one more, Brandon. Go for I swear it. I'll let you <laughs> no, it's all you. Um, <laughs> another thing the Tigers get a lot of flack for is their lack of developing position players. So I'm curious if you saw any of the position guys that kind of stood out to you. Yeah, I would say there's a couple that, unfortunately for Tigers fans, are still probably a few years out. Um, Sergio Alcantara, he's somebody who still really doesn't have a whole lot of muscle. He's one of those guys that needs to join the breakfast club and, you know, <laughs> get a few more sandwiches in him somehow. Um, but just such a solid defensive player. I love watching him at shortstop. Really, really clean hands. He moves very, very well. He's got great feet, great reads off the bat. Uh, but he's somebody, too, that he, he's got a decent hit tool. He just doesn't have much power to work with. And so I think he's somebody that's going to, we're hoping, will develop well over the next year or two um, and see how he's able to do with that. Um, and then as far as other guys, a lot of the talk was really just falling around Kristen Stewart and Mike Gerber, um, obviously, who have become two of the front runners over the last year or so. Um, Stewart looks really, really comfortable at the plate, which is encouraging. Um, last year, I saw some struggles with him um, reading off-speed stuff. Um, and we all know when he makes contact, he destroys baseballs. And so for him, I think it's just a matter of getting that timing getting his wrists to cooperate, getting, you know, just that whole flow at the plate, and he could do some real damage. But unfortunately, he's going to have to really get comfortable reading, you know, AAA pitching, which I think he's going to start the year there. Um, We'll see how he handles that transition. And I think we could see Mike Gerber in Detroit very, very quickly. Um, The Tigers loved him this spring. And I think it was just the fact that had a little bit of seniority issues he had to deal with as far as some guys who were ahead of him in their ranks. But not a bad word against him. Everybody was impressed with him on both sides of the ball. So I think we could see him up there as well this year. It is is kind of interesting that, that, you know, we have Gerber and Stewart both at AAA and both, you know, played there some last year. And yet because they took Victor Reyes and because Jacoby Jones has, you know, had a really monster spring, all of a sudden those guys who we kind of thought we might see, yeah, might might be delayed a little bit. So... I guess we'll just have to kind of see how that all plays out with, with um, how Jones and, and Reyes and everyone um, plays it out at the uh, major league level. The thing I wanted to ask you about Schreiber, though, he's, I mean, if he's throwing, um, you know, 93, 94, he definitely sounds like a guy who could, you know, potentially get to Detroit the way, um, you know, like Hyrule Labort. You know, some of these guys, uh, obviously Joe Jimenez jumped quite a few levels. So do you think there's a, a decent chance that Schreiber could, could make his debut this year? 
I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, yeah, I'm going to say, I think he will, because I think the difference between Schreiber and some of the other arms that the Tigers promoted last year is that with Schreiber, you have consistency. And I think some of those relief arms that they pulled up, I don't know if they were necessarily ready for that jump. I know obviously with Laborte, he's had, had, you know, just the ups and downs over the years. And unfortunately, a lot of that carried over with him when he got to Detroit. So for some of those other arms, too, just had some inconsistencies. And Schreiber has been almost seamless. Um, Watching him, I got to see a lot of his outings last year. I was surprised they held him in West Michigan as long as they did, seeing his success. Um, But he said he feels great. He's really excited for this year. And I think we could see him uh, make his debut at the end of the year, maybe a September call-up, if not sooner, depending on how he handles the start of the season. Yeah, and obviously the Tigers don't have any any real reason to rush anyone so um, they don't have to have those concerns in mind it can all just be about development which is for the best um, for those guys especially um, the other guy I wanted to ask you about who you were kind of talking about having a little bit of a, a bump in velocity uh, <laughs> velocity velocity is um, Austin Sodders who you know really dominated last year as a college pitcher at West Michigan um, but yeah it sounded like he was having a pretty nice spring he was, yeah, and I believe it was um, Len Henning who had reported that, that there was a climb in his velocity. I got to see him make one appearance. I didn't see that boost in my viewing, which obviously I'm not going to judge that off of one viewing because we all know how pitchers' performances can vary game to game. But um, the thing with Austin, again, he's he's a deception guy. He's somebody who is not really going to go much above 92 miles an hour on his fastball, but really, really deceptive delivery. Um, I got to see him throw a lot last year as well. Um, He's very steady, knows how to time himself really, really well, works very smooth, and he he surprised a lot of people last year. So I think for him, it's going to really come down to knowing um, his off-speed stuff and being able to know, you know, what's your out pitch, what are you wanting to you know, to use as your go-to because you can't live off of a fastball when it's only tipping about 92 miles an hour. So he's going to have to really develop that deception all the more, and I think he could end up being a nice surprise as well. Right on. Yeah, it seems like a guy who maybe kind of needs to see how his stuff plays, maybe against better hitters to kind of kind of know what changes need to be made. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And if you ask, um, you know, any of these minor league guys almost across the board, they'll tell you the biggest jump as a player is from the Florida State League to the Eastern League. And so for him, I think if he's able to really get enough confidence in Lakeland getting up to Erie, that's really going to be the big test for these guys because no matter how you throw at the lower levels, when you hit the Eastern League, that is some smart, smart hitters. And so if you don't have that creativity, you don't have that deception or that velocity, you're really going to have a hard time holding your own up there. So I think if he's able to really get a good feel to start the year, he could still see some success up at that level. Yeah, and just to elaborate on that, yeah, it's 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 really just that there's a funnel right there at double-A, right, where all the guys who kind of can hang a little bit in A-ball, only the best of the best kind of make that jump, and all of a sudden you don't have easy outs to get, so... Let's talk about one guy who did make the double-A jump and um, and looked pretty good and has looked awesome to me in the, the little bit of, of video I've seen this spring, and that was Bo Burrows. Um, you know, obviously the Tigers have four, kind of maybe five, if you want to include Kyle Funkhauser, really nice young starting prospects, but um, Bo Burrows has looked really good. Did you get to see him at all? I did get to 
to see him. He was sitting, I think, between 94 and 96 on his fastball, um, which for anybody who watched the Futures game, he uh, touched 98, which I think he kind of surprised himself on that one a little bit, <laughs> um, just knowing that he had that type of velocity in his back pocket. But I talked to a few scouts about him while I was down there, and um, one of them, to quote what he said specifically, he said, once Bo figures out who he is, it's going to suck to have to hit against him. Because I think of, like, all this stuff he has, it's just a matter of seeing those wheels turning. And I got to see a lot of that from him in Erie last year. Um, I watched him. I was actually at the game where he threw a six-inning no-hitter. And pulling him out of that game was one of the hardest things his manager had to do because he was locked in. And I spoke to him after the game. He had a big old grin on his face. And he said, coming out of that game was one of the hardest things I had to do. But he understands he's still relatively young. Um, the team doesn't want to push him too hard. But what I saw in that outing specifically is stuff was starting to click. And so I think if he can carry that same mentality over the season, he could be a very, very dangerous guy to work with. And I'm hoping to see that come to the surface. He has kind of a cheeky little grin. Um, do you think there's something with him to where he sees, you know, Matt Manning getting getting a lot of pub and now Franklin Perez and Alex Fajardo getting a lot of pub? Um, do you think he, he's kind of got in the back of his mind a little bit like, uh, yeah, just just watch me, guys. I'm coming, I'm coming for all of you. I don't mind if I go under the radar a little bit. No, I definitely do. I think the Tigers actually have multiple guys um, in their pitching uh, repertoire who have a little bit of an ego, and I think it's a healthy ego. Kyle Funkhauser's another one where he said, you know what, don't count me out. Just because he had that injury last year, he said, I'm coming back, and he's got very, very competitive reviews for himself, and he thinks he's really going to do some big stuff this year, too, because he's got plenty to work with, but I think going on the DL last year kind of pushed him off the radar a little bit, mm-hmm. but I got to see him throw while I was down, and like Linda as well, he looks 100% throwing the ball really, really good, it's at about 95-96. Oh, wow, really? With some, with some good life, yes, and he's somebody, I've seen him hit up to 97 during the season, so he's definitely got some uh, some gas there, and I think that it's going to show up a lot this season. Excited to see what he's able to do. Yeah, the fastball looked really lively from him. Um, yeah, the couple times I saw clips too. Yeah, a lot of lot of tail. Um, let's see. Um, we've kind of. I mean, I don't want to. The thing I don't want to do is just talk about like Matt Manning and Franklin Perez and Alex Fajardo because everyone kind of knows about them or at least has some idea. Um, what did you see from Anthony Castro, who's kind of been a guy who I, I was hoping would kind of have a little bit of a breakout last year and was just kind of like, yeah, had, had a nice year? Yeah, I would say Anthony Castro is one of my absolute favorite off-the-grid guys. I've been following him for probably the last two years. He's another one that, Lord Almighty, just add, add a sandwich or two to your menu and you'll <laughs> be fine. That's really what it comes down to. Um, but for him... He, what I saw from him at spring training is he's mixing his pitches a lot better. Um, last year, I think it was really kind of a, you know, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm playing stateside and this is crazy and, you know, just almost deer in the headlights. And it was a very unbalanced um, delivery from him as far as knowing what to throw, knowing when to throw it, almost cold feet to a certain degree. And he spent all last year in West Michigan, got to see him become more comfortable, see what he was able to do. He's got a really nice plus fastball and works his off-speed stuff really well. Um, a lot of it is still in development, though. Um, it has to get more of a feel for his changeup. has to get a little bit more, just more understanding of how his body works in general. And I think as he develops, I want to say he's about 22 
right now, if I remember correctly. And as his body develops, I think he adds a little bit more velocity, and I think we see some more good stuff coming from him. Nice. Yeah, it's kind of tough with some of the international guys. Um, you know, they're really, just the way the system is set up kind of puts such a crunch on them because they come up at 16 and, you know, the Tigers have to put them on the 40-man by the time they're, you know, 22 and or 24 and a lot of times, well, 22. And a lot of times these guys are, you know, still just kind of learning and getting comfortable living in America and, you know, trying to, like you said, trying to build some muscle and, and get it going. And um, all of a sudden there's this kind of, you know, this crunch that can happen where, okay, you, you know, you've got to do something in the next year or two to make sure we can put you on the 40-man. Um, and there's some pressure there that's, um, it's kind of unfortunate that the system kind of works that way. It is for sure, but I, you know, to the Tigers credit, I think they do a good job with their um, development coaches, especially for the Latin players, um, getting them acclimated to society here in the States, you know, showing them how to, you know, how to get settled in and kind of learning the ropes um, with how things run during the season. So it's, it's a huge thing. I mean, personally, I can't imagine going to a new country at 16 or 17, having to learn a new language and also prove myself, you know, trying to make a career in baseball. Like, it's, it's an incredible challenge. And I think a lot of these guys who keep themselves surrounded with the right types of people and understanding what's expected of them and being able and willing to put in the work, those are the guys we're going to see ultimately come out on top. Yep, definitely an extra extra layer of challenge there for him, though. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm just looking for a question here. Kind of keep mixing these in. Um, okay, we have a commenter who wanted to know, um, be- between Isaac Paredes, Daz Cameron, and Jake Rogers, who do you think has the highest ceiling versus the highest floor? I am going to go with, I think, Jake Rogers. I think the fact that... Um, what I saw from him, and again, he was one I saw for the first time at spring training. I had seen uh, Cameron and Paredes. They were both in West Michigan last year. Um, I think he's one of the most versatile players that I've seen. Um, he's somebody who has a good understanding for what he's capable of, but I think he is still kind of coming into himself, which is only going to make him more dangerous moving forward. I think with Paredes, um, he's pretty much hit, hit a wall physically. I don't think he's going to grow that much more, um, or fill out that much more, I should say, for his size. And so I think with Rogers, he's somebody who's got a little bit more of a wide open scope in front of him. And then Cameron as well, not too much of a difference, but I think I would go with Rogers on that one. Yes, yeah. so on board the hype train. Yep, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Jake Rogers, you know, definitely seems like the highest floor, too, because the catching skill is just so high level that, you know, you know he's going to play in the majors already, so. Oh, I, I totally do, and I think one of the things that stood out about him is the fact, like you said, that he was so solid as a catcher, and so knowing the instincts he has, and also, to say this as well, because I don't think this gets enough uh, focus from people, is that his attitude is just top of the line. I got to meet him very briefly at spring training, spoke to him for a few minutes, absolute gentleman, and I think people put so much focus on what goes on on the field, but these guys, especially in today's society, when they have that good that good makeup from, you know, their parents or coaches or whoever it was that kind of pushed them to where they are now, that is so vital, so, so vital for these guys to be raised as gentlemen, to be able to interact in society in a professional and respectful way, and so that side of it really stood out to me as well. Honestly, I was actually going to ask you about that because I, I mean, I've only seen him on the field and in video, but I kind of got the the opposite vibe from his pictures, and I was like, oh, this guy looks like he might be standoffish. He might be like, 
thinking he's really better than everybody. And it's, it's hard. Like, I mean, you're just looking at pictures and video, right? But I, it's really good to hear that he's not that at all. Oh, totally. And it's, I think for him, it's kind of going back to what I said about Kyle Funkhauser. I think it's a healthy, cocky attitude. Um, I think that he does understand what he's capable of. And if you're able to, to carry that out on the field, you're going to have success because you know what you can accomplish. Uh, but the read that I got from him shook my hand, very soft-spoken, very gracious, really just a very easy guy to talk to. And, I've, you know, unfortunately I've had the ones on the opposite end of the spectrum that gave off that I don't have time for you vibe or going in, you know, a totally other negative direction. And so seeing his attitude, that was something that really jumped out to me, and I think he's going to have a lot of success this year. That's awesome. Yeah, do you, um, I mean... Without going too far into this, like, are, are you finding that the guys are more comfortable with you? Like, you know, for a long time, there haven't been that many female prospect writers. There's still not enough female baseball writers. Like, it's kind of, you know, it's still, like, fairly backwards in this regard. We could really use a lot more, um, you know, women getting those opportunities in the sport. Um, and, and definitely they can earn those opportunities as you have. Have you noticed kind of a change in, like, the attitude kind of toward you or... Um, I would say yes and no. I think that there's still, and unfortunately probably will be for a long time some resistance because you have the old school mentality of have you ever been on the field then how would you understand how would you be able to you know fully articulate what's going on on the field and um, with the guys in the tiger system like I said this will be my fourth season um, and I've watched a lot of these guys grow up so to speak Mm -hmm. and so when I go to spring training or when the season starts it's kind of like a family reunion you know I see these guys and they're I go, oh, hey, you know, you're here. Can you shoot some video for me? Or what did you think of my last outing? Or, you know, just it's really kind of an opportunity to bounce stuff off of each other. And then for me, I'm in a position where I get to sort of give these guys a spotlight um, for the ones that don't really get the attention that they deserve unless they're at the triple level because it's very hard. You know, kind of like what Ashley was saying earlier, too. People are just wired to pay attention to the major league level. That's That's the focus. That's where they want to go. It's the big, exciting platform. Um, and maybe you look at AAA if someone gets hurt, you know, who's going to come up and fill those shoes. Yeah. These guys are working their way to the surface, so to speak. And so for me, I've taken it upon myself to say, hey, look, you know, you don't know their name? Well, I'm going to help you get to know that name. I'm going to help you get to know the Anthony Castros and the John Schreibers and, you know, the Mike Gerber song that I've been singing for probably three years now, um, you know, talking about what's developing behind the curtain, and I think that makes people a lot more aware, as they should be, because it's it's a grind in more ways than one. We've all been hearing about it in the news from the minor league side lately as well. It's something people need to start paying attention to. Yeah, and, you know, I remember, you know, Mike Gerber and Joe Jimenez both, you know, obviously our, our buddy Hook Slide, but as you as well, like, we're, we're pushing those two guys before I'd ever heard their names, um... And, and seemingly in large part just on like the, their makeup and like what, you know, how, what their work ethic was like. And um, yeah, you're you're both rapidly being proven right, it seems. <laughs> both of them have, have kind of exceeded expectations. Um, Joe Jimenez looked fantastic this spring. I'm real interested to see how he does this year. Uh-oh. Emily, did we lose you? Yes. Okay. No, I'm still here. <laughs> okay, sorry. Thought we lost you. <laughs> Um, that wasn't really a question, I guess, is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have any ideas about the draft? We had a discussion about this last week, and we're, we're kind of torn as to where we think the Tigers will go. 
do you have any, not that obviously you don't have any team insights, but where do you think they should lean? You know, my perspective on this has been, I've looked at it from both sides. And I think as we all know, for those of us who have followed the draft closely in recent years, the Tigers have a tendency to go for pitchers. That's kind of their comfort zone. That's what they tend to want to reach towards. But considering the state of the farm system, um, I personally would like to see them go after a position player. I think with the bats who are getting much older up top, there's really not much of a pipeline right now outside of, you know, Kristen Stewart and some of these other ones who have the possibility of developing into more of a notable bat. And so for that, it's, it's something I think they need to fill up that reserve a little bit, but it's hard to tell what direction they're going to go. I think they could go, you know, really either route, but I think from my perspective, I would like to see more focus on the positional um, players. So who would you draft? <laughs> that is an excellent question. Take Did it you... easy, Ashley. My God, she's like, sorry. <laughs> I just we had this discussion last week, I know, <laughs> so good. I'm going with it. I would say stay tuned for the Athletic Detroit for further. Ah, <laughs> there's a professional. Enough. There's the professional for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is kind of it is interesting. You know, your your um your buddy Katie Strang, who runs the Athletic Detroit, um, and it was. I think interviewing Al Avila the other day, and he was talking about how, how you know, the Tigers haven't really had any impact bats since Nick Castellanos, and that part of the problem is that they haven't drafted, you know, very high in the first round. But I, I just kept thinking, like, if you, you know, if you need, like, a top 10 pick to find a bat, um, you know, you're maybe you're not doing a very good job of it, <laughs> to be honest. Like, maybe you need to, you know, emphasize that more. You know, it's you, there are more kind of measurables with, with, like, a prep pitcher or a college pitcher. You can see their spin rates and their their velocity and such. So I, I get that it's it can be easier to evaluate from that perspective, but um, it does seem like maybe they need to kind of try to find a different approach to finding uh, position players. Yeah, and I would say one of the focuses, which I forget how long it's been now, but um, Al Avila brought it up to the media where he said, you know, we really want to put more focus on developing homegrown talent. And I think one of the reasons why it's been such a challenge is that a lot of these guys who may have developed into something were shipped off for whatever reason. And so I think if they're able to keep more of these guys in-house, that's going to give them a chance to show if the development staff is able to develop correctly, and that'll really show what the organization can do as a whole. So I think it's going to be putting more investment into the guys they bring in, but then also showing that they're able to develop them accordingly and see if they can help them climb the ladder to get to Detroit. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Got to keep trying. I mean, it is easy to forget, you know, that, you know, the Tigers brought up Willie Adamas. You know, he was, he was a, a player that they had who's probably going to be Tampa's starting shortstop at some point this year. Um, you know, we had Eugenio Suarez, Hernan Perez, Devin Travis. So it's not like they've never found any bats other than Nick Castellanos. But yeah, just we just haven't seen him so so much in the last couple of years, I guess is really what it is. Um, let's yeah. see. I was going to take the next one. Um, someone wanted to know just, just real quick. Um, do you have any insight into how Brian Garcia and Jason Foley are doing at this point? Um, they both had surgery. We're just kind of wondering if you'd heard anything about that. Yeah. Brian Garcia, to my knowledge, is just really, um, resting, you know, kind of laying low, which is pretty normal after having that type of a procedure. Um, it's been just a short time since he had his surgery. Um, but Jason Foley is making really good progress. He's actually in a throwing program right now oh. down in Lakeland. Um, they haven't had any type of projection on when they may consider him to, you know, start looking towards game action. 
Um, but based on those who I spoke to, they said that his progress has been very promising. He said no setbacks. Um, he feels comfortable, and so that's a really encouraging thing to hear. Yeah, that definitely is that definitely is good to hear. Um, to go back to the other thing, you know, to about position players, one thing that I think um, you know our listeners would probably do well to take note of is that you know the Tigers really have aggressively pursued a lot of shortstops out of the international market. Um, in terms of they signed Alvaro Gar- um, Gonzalez this last offseason for a really high signing bonus, um, and you've got um, Wencil Perez, who I believe is only 18, uh, but he's a guy who might come into your radar here shortly. So it's not like they aren't trying. Um, there there are some talented um, young young guys who've been signed and and may show up here before too long. Yeah, no, I totally agree that there's definitely some names to watch, and I think. Ultimately, it's going to come down to seeing how Detroit can handle the development process. Um, there's definitely potential there, but I think it's really going to come down to how do they pace it out, how do they cultivate it, and will they ultimately hold them around long enough to see if they're worth investing in long term. Yep, definitely. Um, okay, I'm going to indulge myself real quick. Um, did you get to see uh, Matt Manning much this spring before he, um, before he pulled the oblique and stuff? Yeah, I was going to say they have to start wrapping Bill Burroughs and Alex Faito in bubble wrap before anybody <laughs> else gets centered at the right things are going. Um, I did see Manny throw, um, unfortunately it was just a bullpen, so um, I think he had thrown the day before I arrived. So not any in-game action, um, but I posted a video of his bullpen session that I saw, and he looks, he looks I mean, fluid as ever. Um, there's still some talk that, will his velocity be okay? His velocity is fine. Everybody needs to quit freaking out about it. Yep. Um, he actually said himself he put more focus on his off-speed stuff last year. And so that was seeing less of his fastball, which, of course, when you have the type of fastball he has, everybody panics and says, who broke Matt Manning? <laughs> so for that type of a thing, I don't think we have anything to worry about. Everything I've heard from him is good. Um, we're just hoping for a speedy recovery from him, and he's able to bounce back 100%. Yeah, and um, it's it really sounded like it was pretty minor, so um, it might actually just play into the Tigers' strategy for him anyway, because you know they're not going to let him go out there and throw 110, 120 innings this year anyway. So you know if he has a little break before getting started at West Michigan, it sounds like um, that's probably all right. Um, I had to note, you know, Anthony Fennick posted something the other day where he was talking about some of the peripheral measurements that they'd taken on Manning and. Um, one of the things he found is that he had a seven point three or seven foot three inch release point, like his extension, which is ludicrous. Um, so it's anybody, bonkers. yeah. So anybody worrying about velocity, like you know, he doesn't even really need any more velocity. But he's also a six foot six beanpole who's going to fell out at some point, and you might see a huge velocity jump. Um, that's how it went with Noah Syndergaard. Like he threw hard, and then all of a sudden, one year later, he was throwing you know ninety nine one hundred. It just it just kind of happens. So. No, I, I definitely think you will see that with Manning. I think the fact that he's so advanced, being as young as he still is, I think it's only up from here. And he he has all arms, all legs. It's almost kind of a stretch Armstrong thing where yeah. <laughs> he just he knows how to control it appropriately. But, yeah, he's one that I think is just going to get even more and more developed. He's going to learn his body even better. And I think we're going to see some really, really good stuff from him too. Do you get a chance to uh, talk to him or meet him at all? Uh, for Matt Manning, I did not get a chance to, unfortunately. He was kind of hit or miss um, with his time around the complex, so didn't get a chance to chat with him, but I'm hoping to this season once he gets to West Michigan. Yeah, right on. I'll be out there 
I and I'm like a hawk myself because I'm. I mean, I've talked to him a couple times now too, so I'm I'm totally invested. Like that's my guy now. So, um, I would say, oh, you know what I wanted to ask you about um, is the specimen known as Cam Gibson and um, kind of what you what you think about his possibilities of of eventually kind of finding that hit tool a little more consistently and uh, and making a run because the you know the physical tools are just so ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. I, I was really impressed with um, just how fluid and relaxed he looked in the spring. Um, I think he was somebody that I know personally I had a hard time reading the direction he was going. Um, he obviously has that Gibson flair um, <laughs> in his presence at the plate and in the field. He's extremely aggressive, um, and he takes it very, very seriously. He's a very emotional player, um, much like his dad, and so I think for him... What I saw was a much more level-headed approach at the plate. Um, still a little bit of that flair there, but his swing looked really, really smooth. He changed his stance, which I found really interesting um, compared to last year. So I think he's still kind of toying around with that a little bit, uh, but looked good in batting practice. And obviously we saw some really good production from him in his little uh, big league camp cameos this year too. So I think it could be fun to watch him this year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, I noticed, um, you know, he dumped that double um, to left field a couple days ago, and he had, you know, he kind of had sort of an open stance early in the count, and then once he got behind, he um, he closed up and, and really spanked that thing to left um, and went opposite field. So that was that was kind of an interesting little note. Also out there, Evan Gatta style with no batting gloves like a savage. <laughs> Just, you know, that's, that's the Gibson way. We hear yeah. about the Tiger way, but this is the Gibson way. <laughs> yeah, the Gibson way is special for sure. Uh, all right, Ashley. Anybody else you'd like to ask her about before we get into um, the the life of a minor leaguer and the um, the miserable <laughs> attempt to screw them? <laughs> recently? No, we covered all we covered all the big ones that I was curious about. Yeah, I think uh, I think we got it pretty well covered. So let's get into this because you know the, this was pa- I, this was passed in the um, the congressional spending package that just went through. Um, it's it's an act that. Major League Baseball and the owners pushed through called the Save America's Pastime Act, which is such a cynically titled Oh, act. it's such an icky title. It really is. Um, and basically what it does is exempt um, all minor league players from any kind of federal labor law, any kind of, um, apart from like, okay, they can't beat you. Or maybe they can, I don't know. But, uh, but it also exempts you from the minimum wage. Um, and can you, I mean, could you kind of address that? Because you and I have talked about this a lot, you know, just about how hard it is um, for a lot of these guys, you know, as minor leaguers to even like feed themselves properly and, you know, ha- have shelter and how many of these guys are, you know, kind of, pro- you know, providing for families um, as well. And, and just the kind of situation um, that a lot of them are in, in the lower levels of the minor leagues and how you feel about the act in general. You know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say exactly how I feel <laughs> because I think the words that I have maybe a bit, um, you know, heated, if you will. Yeah. Well, you know, I throw F-bombs down on pretty much every single podcast, Em, <laughs> so I think you're probably okay. But if you're worried about your, like, professional appearances, I totally understand. No, it's, it's something, too, where I think the fact that I spend so much time around these guys during the season, um, I get to know their families. I get to know, you know, wives, girlfriends, parents. Um, and you hear so much of what's going on behind the scenes, I think what a lot of the fan base, which I've been kind of taking this on myself to try and, you know, lovingly prod the <laughs> fan base to, to educate themselves, um, to realize just because a player puts on a uniform and he's out on a minor league baseball field, that is not all glitz and glamour and flashbulbs and autograph sessions. It's, 
you know, coming off the field after a game and you're icing an ankle and hoping there's some food left in the clubhouse because you don't have enough money to go get dinner later that night or having to go climb on a bus and ride a bus trip for, you know, nine or ten hours and then get up the next morning and go play a one o'clock game and hope that you're awake enough to, you know, to be able to let it all sink in. And it's something that is just never brought into the public eye enough until this year. I think it's really starting to come to the surface. And I think for so many of the minor league players, it fuels them that much more. But I think the injustice of it is that it shouldn't have to be the fuel. The fuel should have to be, you know, and I have this this vision to see myself play Major League Baseball, but I shouldn't have to claw and drag my way to get up there and hope that I can pay my bills or that my wife and kids can pay the bills at the same time. So it's something that it should be a fair treatment. You know, nothing super fancy. If you're a minor league player, yeah, you're not going to have a multi-million dollar contract. But the thing about it is, is be humane about it. Don't, don't treat it, shrug it off and say, well, go find another career, you know, go find something that's going to work out better for you if you don't like this. It's not okay at the end of the day. It's not okay. And the fact that it was shoved into that spending bill, however many thousands of pages in, shows that it's not taken seriously by Major League Baseball, and it's something that they need to wake up, address it, and handle it the way it needs to be handled. Yeah. Yeah. I think I read somewhere that, it, like, the math on it was insane. Like, they could have given every single minor league player, like, in every level of the system per team, a $35,000 a year increase in salary, and it would cost teams roughly, like, $7.5 million, which is the cost of, like, a second-string outfielder. Yeah, and it's, it's something, too, where you look at how many billions of dollars the minor league industry makes, and these, these paychecks come out of Major League Baseball. Again, to, to reiterate to everyone, minor league teams do not pay their players. They're not the ones who sign those paychecks. And I can guarantee you, Major League owners have the pockets to reach into. <laughs> they have the resources to reach into. But to, to not take it seriously when you're looking at the force that's pushing the revenue of that industry, they're the ones who are going out on the field, they're drawing the fans, Fans buy concessions, fans buy merchandise because of those players, because of the fact that they're out on the field. Why would that not deserve at least minimum wage? That would be my question to everybody. Why would that not at least, when some of these guys who contact me um, anonymously, they're making three to four dollars an hour after taxes and clubhouse dues, three to four dollars an hour during spring training. They get $25 for meal money, no paycheck. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and see, like, stuff like clubhouse fees is something I'd never even heard of until you tweeted about it. Yeah. Like, there's just so much that the average person doesn't know that goes into these. Like, they're like, oh, well, you know, they're still making however much money. And it's like, no, they're like, they're not even making what waiters make before tips. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's honestly tragic. And I, I spoke to one of... Um, the Tigers minor league pitcher as well, keep him nameless, but he let me know his wife is expecting their second child. They've got two young ones at home, and he's still looking at this going, I still have a dream I want to accomplish. I still have a goal I want to meet. Is it easy? No, it's not easy, but he's still pushing because he wants to see that dream realized. That's the mentality of all these guys in the minor league system. They should not have to bend over backwards, sacrifice their own well-being, 
because of the fact that you can add another zero onto someone's paycheck. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like we kind of joked around when we all found, found out that Michael Fulmer used to do plumbing work in the offseason. And because a pitcher at rookie of the year major league level, you don't even think of that. You're like, haha, he's making so much money. Who needs to plumb in the offseason? But that was a real reality for him for years before that, that making the kind of money you can get from plumbing, because it's a lot, and it's a lot more than any of those guys are making at a minor league level, was something that he and his family would have needed to actually survive those slim summer months. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I spoke with um, another minor league pitcher who told me as well during the offseason, he's a valet. He works oh in valet God. parking, and he said, Honestly, M, he said, I make bank. Because <laughs> I make bank because he works at, it's sort of like one of those resorts out west where, you know, you're having big names roll in there, and they're going to pass you tips. They're going to they're gonna treat you well because that's just the type of environment it is. And so that's what he goes into. I know guys who, you know, they pick up wait, waiter jobs. They pick up, you know, different odds and ends. One of them told me he works at a car dealership during the off season just to be able to pay his bills because they're not getting taken care of. And if you if you hand someone a contract, take care of them. They're signing basically signing their life over to you for however many years, trying to accomplish this goal. Take care of your players. And honestly, if I could have a message to the, the president of minor league baseball, you want guys who are going to win. You want guys who are going to accomplish what you are hoping they'll accomplish. Build the environment. Cultivate the environment that's going to inspire these guys to do that because right now they're having to push. They should not have to push. Make it worth their while and you're going to see some production. Yeah, and you know, the thing that, you know, they kind of talk about it like, oh yeah, players have half the year off. But like you said, most of them, you know, have to get a job. And you also, you know, it's not like you're not obliged by your team to train, you know, full time. I mean, if you're not working out, you know, religiously in the off season, you're getting worse. You know, you're failing, you know, at, at your goal. So it's a it's a two pronged thing where you spend the whole off season you know killing yourself um, and then try to show up in the spring fresh and you know and impress and earn a job um, you know a lot of these guys I think the lowest level is like what eleven hundred a month Ugh, that's rough yeah yeah that's honestly what a lot of them are looking at and I mean looking at a couple you know we'll use a couple of the Tigers minor league guys for example Edwin Espinal who um, spent time in the Dominican League. Um, over the winter, he came out of the regular season, signed with Detroit, went to the Dominican League. He literally had maybe a couple of weeks between regular season, Dominican League, and then coming to spring training. These guys are going all the time, you know, maybe taking one or two months off, but then they're starting to throw again by December. They're starting to prep their arms again, and that's when the full workouts start. They don't have the opportunity to work 40 hours, and that was something that was probably the kicker about this bill is that they said passing this bill is telling everybody baseball is a 40 hour a week job, which is an absolute joke. Yeah. Because most of these guys are going from, you know, seven in the morning until one or two the next morning. And then they have a few hours later that they have to wake up and do it all over again. And that's something that people need to wake up to that. They need to be aware of that and they need to give these guys the recognition that they deserve because it's anything but easy. Yeah, even beyond the, you know, the ethical concerns, which are, you know, strong, um, you know, it's just, just impractical, really. I mean, just from a practical level, like, the better these guys are able to feed themselves, you know, the less, you know, stress off the field that they're enduring 
and you know being able to take care of their family all those sorts of things you know increase your chances of success um and it's just bizarre to me that you know major league baseball a 10 billion dollar industry you know 10 billion dollars in revenue last year who has seen this entire offseason you know a huge kind of you know cutback in the the types of free agent contracts that they're going to give um and who also just took away you know the international free agents rights to sign for more than, you know, the, the one or $2 million signing bonuses that are available, which sounds great, but that's not, you know, that's not, you know, that's after <laughs> that's you take after the taxes, you take after your agent and that's a one-time payment. And then you go in and you make 1100 a month. And that's the absolute best case scenario. Um, you know, they've just kind of, you know, they've been kind of chipping away at the players um, share in almost every way. And it is unfortunate too. I think we should mention that uh, Major League Baseball's Player Association also hasn't really done anything but, you know, allow the minor league players to kind of take a beating um, at every turn. Oh, so, I hate that so, so gotta, much. So I've got to take a shot at, at them a little bit, too. It's not their responsibility, but they're not really doing a lot to help their future members. And, you know, that's kind of unfortunate as well. It is unfortunate. And I, I don't know if you saw one of the messages I got from a minor league player, and he said that several years ago he had approached the Players Association and said, look, what do I have to do to get protected? And the response was, sorry, it's not really on, you know, high on our priority list right now. And that right there tells you there's a disconnect. There's some type of a disconnect because there should be that same type of an environment where they feel like they have somebody to go to that they can present their their issues to, that they can have that support system. And plain and simple, minor league baseball does not have that support system right now, but that's not an excuse for the Players Association to just sit back and watch it happen. Something needs to be done. Absolutely. Yeah, I just don't get why they couldn't, you know, just throw their verbal support behind the players. Like, these are guys who are, some of them, and a very small percent perhaps, are going to be amongst your ranks at some point. Like, I don't understand how it's not hard to be like, hey, this doesn't seem really fair. Call your representatives. Like, just throw your verbal weight behind it and go, these guys deserve to make a decent human living wage. That doesn't seem like something hard to say. Yeah, and I would say, you know, for those players who, which, you know, I can't imagine being in their shoes and wanting to speak up about this and going, I might jeopardize my job here, you know, but to still be able to have that courage to speak out, and multiple minor league players have done that, and I just say, you know, all the credit in the world to them for that, because they understand the pressure of it, and they want to make sure people realize that, too, that it's it's not this cushy thing. People say, oh, it's a grind. It's a grind. It is a crime. It's, it's something that they've got to work after this all season long. And I think that fans really just need to challenge themselves, get to know the bigger picture, get to know what's really going on behind the scenes. Because, yeah, these guys are going to sign a few autographs for you, maybe take a picture. There's a whole lot going on behind the scenes that you don't see. So at the very least, offer your support, learn what's going on, and be able to stand with them, and hopefully we'll start to see some change. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a while until the next collective bargaining agreement, but um, you know, public pressure can can speak volumes. So we'll just have to see how how things play out there. Um, I don't know. I think we've you know we've pretty much covered as many of the prospects as I really really wanted to get to. Um, is there anyone else you, who really kind of popped to you that you wanted to kind of mention anything about? 
Because um, the, the other topic I wanted to get into was really, what, should MLB mic up more players? Because there was a hilarious Mookie Betts incident today where he was mic'd up with the broadcast as a line drive into right field sailed over his head. And he jokingly said, well, I'm not going to get this one, fellas. And I, I think all of us at the same time realized like, what a great marketing opportunity this was to be able to, if there was some way to do this more often. Um, and I just wondered, both of you, uh, what, what, what you thought about seeing that today and, um, and whether or not that's something that, that, you know, those kinds of things to promote, you know, the, especially the star players, which Major League Baseball doesn't do a very good job of promoting sometimes. Do you think that kind of thing helps? And can you think of anything else <laughs> along those lines that you'd like to see? It was the cutest thing, and oh, I would love more of it. But I don't know how it works with everybody, right? Because, like, Mookie Betts is Mookie Betts. Yeah. And I don't know if you're going to have nearly as much fun if you, like, mic up, you know, oh, God, Jim Aducci. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't know how great it'll be across the league. Like, I don't know if Kevin Kiermeyer is, like, a fun-loving enough guy to be hilarious in center field, right? It's enough but... just to look at his glorious face. He's beautiful, I know. Um, <laughs> I knew you'd want but, to and I just had to just squish a little raise discussion in here to just be that person. <laughs> um, but no, like, I, I think it's great, but you have to be careful, right? Because you're, I, as I pointed out on Twitter today, you're going to have Mario apologizing for a lot more f bombs throughout a Tiger season <laughs> than he had to do already last year. Yeah. Because um, they're inevitable. They absolutely are, and I think going with what Ashley said too, just do your research before you put a mic on a player. Just know who you're micing up, and make sure that you realize what type of a person they are. Because I think for me, and I forget if this was last season, I think it might have been last season, the Tigers mic'd up Andrew Romine, and it was one of the most hilarious things (laughs) that I remember seeing all season, because he was in the infield at the time doing infield drills with Ian Kinsler, who, as we all know, Ian <laughs> exactly how he feels about anything and everything and pulls no punches. And I remember Andrew Romine saying, hey, hey, Kins, Kins, come talk on the microphone. And Ian looking at him going, no, I don't want to talk on the microphone. And he, he was like this little kid, like, I'm not touching you in the back of a car when you're on, you know, family vacation. he go, hey, Ian. Hey, Ian. Oh and my you can God. see this look on, on Ian's face. Like, if you were not on camera, I would murder you right now. I, <laughs> I need to find video of right those. And I, I would love if there was video, but it was just the funniest thing. I think if you can pull those guys out that have a little bit of that fun-loving personality, or they're just straight-up awkward and hilarious like Andrew Romine is, and, you know, just putting <laughs> that out there, that's going to grab the fans. That brings the fun side of the game back. But make sure you know who it is. Make sure they're not going to flip a switch and suddenly make baseball no longer family friendly. Know what you're getting into. <laughs> like, I feel for the Tigers. I feel like Mikey Motek would be a really good guy to do it with. Like yeah. He seems friendly. I feel like Nick might be a lot of fun. But, yeah, you've got to be really careful. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine having, you know, like Justin Berlander mic'd up when, like, he throws a ball in a 3-2 count? You know, you, you don't want to hear that. Um you know, like maybe... you could never put a mic on Max Scherzer. No, no, you could not. No, maybe, that would not go well. Maybe like you could lip mic reading up Adam... is enough. Yeah, maybe Adam Jones you could mic up, but say Tyler Collins, our buddy, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not so much. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I feel like a guy like Austin Jackson would do really well with it. Like, I don't think Austin Jackson's going to be out there throwing F-bombs and being inappropriate. I feel like he'd be like fun and gentlemanly and having a mic on him when he went over that outfield wall in Boston. Oh, come no. on. 
<laughs> just, just for the thunk. Right. The thunk noise. Be like, over we go. Oh, no. So. Yep. I guess you do have to pick and choose. Like, Mike Trout is the greatest player in the game. He's going to be one of the greatest players of all time, but he's not the most mm, entertaining exciting? of personalities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And neither, and he's honestly, exciting in a, yeah, the physical spectrum of what yeah. he can do. But. And Bryce Harper, for, you know, for, you know, for as, you know, as much swag as Bryce Harper has, like, he's not necessarily like a fun guy to listen to talk. You know, he might not have a whole lot to say other than some F-bombs of his own. So, yeah, hey, pick he, and choose your battles, MLB. Ba- he coined make baseball fun again last year. That's so true. I'm, I do have to give him I'm that. I'm pro Bryce Harper on that one. I mean, just for the hair, the beard, um, you know, the open shirt, the whole the whole package. Like, he doesn't need to do anymore. I mean, it's... Oh, no, man. We got to mic up Anthony Rizzo. That's what we have to do. That's a fine idea. Give Riz and Bryant mics for the season, and we are set. (laughs) I would support that idea. (laughs) Yeah, because I feel like they're fun enough and self-aware enough that they wouldn't let that go inappropriately, but they'd still be a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, um, you know, anybody who's missing Ian Kinsler, and we just talked about him, should go take a look um, for some video online because it was a hilarious play the other day where he thought uh, Justin Upton had struck out and he was basically jogging to third base um, thinking that, you know, the the inning was over and instead accidentally stole third base because he was moving so slowly. <laughs> no one no one knew what to think. Uh, it was just a kind of a classic Ian Kinsler moment. Like Ian Kinsler has those kind of moments like no one else where you're not sure if he's smarter than everyone else or if he just... He just moves in a different space than just has other the dumb baseball players. Up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Oh yeah, it was classic Kinsler. It was so. Um, it made me miss him so bad. Oh, it's gonna be rough. Gonna be rough missing Ian Kinsler and Justin Verlander and JD Martinez. But that's and all right. Everybody. I'm so excited for opening day to get here, guys. I just I don't care. Um, and that's that's you know we just need baseball. I need baseball so bad. And uh, seeing seeing Vlad cap off the the Grapefruit League season with a monster jack to uh, win a game was pretty cool. Kind of got me in the right frame of mind. Um, yeah, I think this is the most excited I've been for baseball to start all off season. I got the chills. I got the tears. I'm all set. Yeah, yeah. For me, one of the most exciting moments last year was uh, Adam Jones making that catch in the WBC. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like God, the season went so, so bad. Good. That was that was a glorious moment. Um, Emily, I really want to thank you for coming on. Um, love talking to you um, on the podcast or not on the podcast. Um, I'll be coming out to hang out with you this summer. So hopefully um, we can go hit up some donkey taqueria. <laughs> yes, I totally support that idea. And thank you guys so much for having me on. It was awesome. Thank you very much. Um, Thanks y- for coming. Yep. You can read all of Emily's brilliant work at The Athletic Detroit. And you can also, I would re- highly advise going to YouTube and following her YouTube, YouTube channel at Emily Walden. There's a ton of um, ton of video from the backfields um, from Lakeland this spring. You can follow her at Emily C. Walden on Twitter. You can follow Ashley at 90 Feet From Home on Twitter. And you can follow me at Fiscadoro74. Um, please, if you ha- have the ability, head over to our Patreon site at patreon.com backslash bless you boys and become a subscriber there. You can help us out quite a bit. Um, and we'll have some perks coming you guys' way. So thanks, ladies, very much. You guys both have a great night. Thank you. Thanks, Brandon. Bye-bye.